This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Hi everybody, it's so good to be with you. I always just love worshiping God with you. You guys are such amazing worshipers. Is it good to be in church? Welcome to you, to our guys at the other venues, you guys online. Thank you for being with us today. I'm really excited to be able to share again with you today. Wow! Can we just, I just want to give a shout out to our Apostle Theo and Dr. Beth. Don't you just appreciate them so much, family? Come on, let's just give them a hand. Thank you, Apostle Theo and Dr. Beth, for who you are and what you do, the influence that you have in our lives. Can we just bow and pray right now? Father, We just thank you, Lord, that once again we come with hearts of anticipation to hear your word, to to receive, Lord, that, that which only you can do in our lives, Father God. And thank you, Lord God, that we just give ourselves completely to you right now. Holy Spirit, I know you are the teacher, and I know I can do nothing without you, so it is my joy to be able to submit completely to you and ask you to speak through me words of life good seeds planted in the, in the good soil of our hearts to produce fruits and a harvest that others too may partake of it in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen. God is so good. Well, this morning we spoke about having, what did we speak about? Who was here? Let me just ask you that. Who was here? about changing your world, right? We spoke about changing your world and that we want to be salt and light and that Jesus actually said that we are salt and light. And tonight what I want to talk about is changing your future. Anybody here want to change your future? A few, right? That's good because you see, we all go through winter seasons in our life, but goodness me, you don't want to spend the rest of your life there. Okay, so I'm going to really allow the word to speak for itself. We're going to be speaking about a lot of scripture tonight. But essentially, I want to show you three events, two family, two really that were destined for a future time, and yet they were brought into the now. How many of you would love to experience something like that, something that you really bring into the now? And then we're going to be speaking about this, this first miracle of our Lord Jesus. So the first one that I want to share with you is found in Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. And just as a bit of a background, let me just read this to you. It says, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. Everybody say, important man. It carries on, it says, he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house for he had an only daughter of about 12 years of age and she was dying. So say this important man on important business. So, okay, that's just what Jesus was was dealing with at that moment. So now I want to show you what happened. So, So it says, as he went, The multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. I mean, family, think about that 12 years. That could have been like a third or half of her life. Okay? It says now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. It's been all her livelihood and physicians could not be healed by any. It says she came from behind and touched the border of his garments, and immediately the flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now we can kind of visualize this, that he must have stopped, right, at that moment. And just think about this. I mean, can you imagine what Jairus, this important man on important business, can you imagine what he was going through? 
Are we like now? Do we have to do this now? Just put yourself there, okay, for a moment. Carries on and says, when all denied it, who knows how long that took, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you and say, you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. Verse 47, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason that she had touched him and now she had been, how she had been completely healed. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I want to just focus on three areas of these scriptures because, I mean, we all know the story, right? And the first thing I want us to look at is um, verse 42b because it says, as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So it would appear to me right there and then that even Jairus and Jesus were actually kind of battling to get through the crowd to get to Jairus's house, okay? And then also we know that the woman had to fight her way through this crowd to get to Jesus. But one has to ask the question, how many of those multitudes that thronged him had issues? And not one of them received anything. Just saying, family say this, tenacious faith will change my future. So let's focus a little bit on her. I want you just to think about this. Imagine Apostle Theo was here and, and you really, really wanted to see him and all the leadership was around him and he was with an important man and he was on important business and I mean, you were really battling to get through the crowd and eventually you were on your hands and knees. I mean, that's the picture that we've received, right? That this was in the streets, the dirty, dusty roads of Capernaum. And I mean, she was literally crawling through this crowd. And you can just imagine that she's kind of, if I can just touch the bottom of his garments, I can receive my healing. And kind of, you know, putting, stretching out her hand when she kind of sees his, his robe. I mean, she must have been scuffed and trampled on. And bam, at that moment, man, she knew something happened. Let's say it again, tenacious faith will change my future. Amen. The next thing I want us to just think about for a moment is in verse 44, it says this, it says, she came from behind and touched the border of his garments. In other words, she actually didn't even have eye contact with Jesus. And I kind of think, you know, if Peter and John at the, the, in, on their way to the temple and, and here's this layman at the gate, beautiful. And what did Peter say? He says, I don't have money, but, you know, just look on me. She, she didn't even have that. Now, this is really one just to, to also think about verse 46. Jesus said, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. Say that family. Jesus said, I perceive power going out from me. I just want you to imagine that. You know, I've got this imagination and I kind of think about this. So when I'm praying for somebody, I think about that and I kind of think of Jesus he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. And as I pray, you know, Jesus is going, whoa, what was that? I just felt this surge of power leaving me. It's a good picture. Right? It's a good picture. But here's what I want to ask you. Are we changing our future because of the demand that we are placing on the power of God that is available to us? How many of you would agree that this woman changed her future because she did that, because she placed a demand on the power of God, family? I mean, we need to understand that we have to fight the good fights of faith. 
I mean, there, there will be obstacles, but we need to overcome them. I want to share with you a testimony that I've actually never shared in this church, and really the Lord just urged me to speak about it. And that is, years ago when I was in full-time Bible college, when I say full-time, every single morning I went five days a week, and then my, my little boy was about two, just over two years old in, in the nursery school. So I'd go to Bible college, and then I would go fetch him from nursery school, obviously go home. And so one particular day, there was a lady there that was really going through some stuff, and she asked me if she could come home with me. And we kind of went to fetch the little boy, went home, and um, I opened the back door. Had one of those, you know, the plastic motorbikes? Love playing in the garden with that. And I put the kettle on, made some tea, and I was kind of checking out. He was doing good. Went to the dining room, sat down, had some tea, and she really started unloading and kind of got a little bit intense. And the way it was is my dining room had these kind of windows looking out over the pool area. There was a fence, and then the kids would play on that side. And just, you know, I got this thing, I kind of got up, looked through the window, and here I, I don't know how he fed me to this day, I don't know how he got into the pool area, I don't. I just saw him floating on top of the water with his bike next to him, his face blue, swollen up like this. I literally, the quickest way is I climbed out the window and, and I just leaned up on the side of the pool and pulled him out to, to the side towards me. And I just kept saying, I will not let you die. You are under my authority and I will not let you die in the name of Jesus. I know nothing about first aid. I held him in my arms, put his little head back, blew into his mouth and somehow got him breathing again, but he was like in and out of consciousness. I literally got in the car with him on my lap, went down to the, to the doctor, thankfully not too far from me. The receptionist who immediately thought was pretty critical, took us straight through to the doctor's rooms. The doctor, not so much, kind of put, put him down on, on, the, on the examination table. And I'm standing there and I'm interceding. And the Lord just said to me, cover him with your body. And I just did that. I literally just covered him and held him close, close, close to me. It was like holding an ice block close to me. He was like ice, ice cold. And I could eventually just feel the warmth coming back into his body again. I found out after that, you know, you kind of hear these things later. There's four or five stages of drowning. The one is, if I didn't get him breathing when, when I did, he probably would have died. If I didn't get his body temperature up right there, his heart would have stopped right there on the table. And I've heard that that's actually where most drownings occurred into death is because of the body temperature. Then there was whether there was infection in the lungs and whether that was going to collapse, whether he got enough oxygen into his brain, all these things. Anyway, they called the ambulance, and I can tell you this. <laughs> by that evening, it was very evident that Gareth was completely, completely restored. That's God. Amen. That's God. So say this again, that tenacious faith will change my future. So the second one, number two, that I want to look at is Matthew chapter 15. And I'm going to be reading from verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went out from there, deposited to a region of Tyre and Sidon. Um, and behold, a woman from Canaan came from the region, cried out to him. That means she was shouting at him. Okay. She's saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Look at the next verse. It says, but he answered her not a word. Everybody say this, Jesus ignored her. I think there's a good reason to maybe get a bit offended. It says, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, take her away, she's crying off to us. Reason number two, you think she could have got offended, Right? 
Verse 24, then he answered. Who did he answer? Not her, he answers the disciples. And he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And right there, I find that such an interesting, interesting scripture because right there, Jesus clarifies his calling on the earth at that time. He was the Jewish Messiah. And at that time, his ministry was to the Jewish people, family. Okay, so Jesus is saying here, what I have at this time, in this season, in this dispensation, is only for the Jews. Watch this now. Instead of being offended, the Bible says in verse 25, she came and worshipped him. And she said, Lord, help me. Verse 26, it says, but he answered. Now he's speaking to her. He says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Ooh, <laughs> how many of us would have taken that lightly? Family, let's carry on. Say this, to change my future, I cannot afford to become offended. Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her and he said, oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, once again, I just want to show you some things. So let's see this. Jesus came for the Jews at that time, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, what I have is for the Jews. I can't give it to you. I can't take their bread and, and give it to you. She says a crumb, just a crumb is enough. Say this again, family, to change my future. I cannot afford to become offended. Let me say it like this. Faith cannot survive in the soil of offense. Kind of reminds me of another story that we find in 2 Kings chapter 5, and this is about Naaman. We know the story about Naaman, right? I mean, he was amazing. He was a commander of, of, of the army of, of the king. He was a great and honorable man. I mean, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Okay, so what happened, I'm just going to paraphrase this real quick, is that they had a little Hebrew slave girl, and she said to Naaman's wife, why doesn't he just go to Israel? The prophet will pray for him and he'll be healed. And so, I mean, Naaman thinks about it and eventually he gets all of his pomp and, and ceremony and entourage and all the stuff goes to the king of Israel with a letter and it becomes like a big deal. I mean, the king of Israel looks at this and he's like, what's with this? Does this God, man think I'm God? I mean, I'm supposed to make him better. And of course, Elisha's like, oh, don't worry, send him to me, I'll sort him out. You know, I'm paraphrasing, right? <laughs> And so this guy comes again, you know, with all of his entourage, and they all come up to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even come out the house. He sends his servant. He says, God tell him to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. Ooh, and Naaman gets offended. And family, praise God that the author of the story doesn't end there because his officials start ministering to him. He feels better. He goes and he does that, and he was healed. But let me tell you, if he had stayed with that offense, he would have died a leper. If this woman had, from Canaan had become offended, her little girl would never have been delivered. So I'm going to give you just very quickly three words that will make sure that you are completely unoffendable. You want that? 
This is seriously deep. So just take a deep breath right now. Are you ready for this? Let it go. Let it go. It's not worth it. This is actually what I want you to see. In this expression of worship, she placed a demand on healing from Jesus that was reserved for a future time. What she claimed was only for the Jews at that time. It was only released at a later time, but she brought it into her now. Say this again, to change my future. I cannot afford to become offended. All right, the third one that we want to look at now is found in John chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1. It says, the next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Verse 3, the, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, and Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus said. My time has not yet come. Everybody say, Jesus said. My time has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold about 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. I love that scripture because it always makes me think of the word of God. You know, we can have a Bible lying at home, but you need to dip into it, and then it's going to make a difference in our lives. Amen? So evidently, this was changed as it was taken out. Verse 9 says, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was in our wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. The host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept, listen to this, you have kept the best until now. Carries on in verse 11, family. It says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, I'm going to come back to that. I just want you to keep that picture in your mind, you see, because for us to really get a revelation of what this is all about, we need to look a little bit further as to was the wine an alcoholic or was it not alcoholic? You know what I'm talking about? Because new wine is very significant, very significant in the word of God. In the Old Testament, there's actually a lot of areas that they refer to new wine, especially in the Old Testament, we're talking about the promised land and the promises to come. In the New Testament, we often see new wine referring to revelation being the new covenant and the Holy Spirit now living inside of us. And Jesus himself makes the statement in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 17. He says this, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins will break. The wine is spoiled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. 
Jesus here was actually answering a question that was posed to him as to why he did things so differently from the other leaders of the synagogue as well as even John the Baptist. And what he's saying here is very prophetic because we know that, you know, he was referring to the new covenant and the new wine is revelation of the new covenant. And the new wineskins is the new creation. You and I, the born-again Christian, who can actually house the very presence of God inside of us. You see, in the New Testament, very often there's this comparison of wine and, in fact, the Holy Spirit. If we have a look at Ephesians 5 and verse 18, it says this, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So God is saying to us here, why would you go for the counterfeit when I've given you the real thing? Amen? I want to just go to Acts chapter, chapter um, 2 because this is the day of Pentecost. And family, this has got everything to do with what happened at that first miracle in Cana. Let's just read it, okay? It says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues of fire, one sat on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you carry on reading, it pretty much speaks about all different, you know, people that came from all over the place who were in Jerusalem at that time. And they're all from different places, different home languages, different native tongues. And they heard them speaking in their languages about the wonderful works of God. You can read it as from verse 5 through to verse 11. Verse 12 says, they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And then this amazing statement, it says, others mocking said, they are full of new wine. How ironic, because this was indeed the fulfillment of the new wine of God being poured out because, family, this was the beginning of a brand new season. It was a brand new dispensation. This was the revelation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. At that stage, Jesus had just died. The veil had been torn from top to bottom. The kind of glory of God had left the temple. Jesus had risen and then, family, he ascended into heaven and together with the Father sent the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is just so phenomenal to me because things have changed. And then also, if you think about new wine, if you look at the Hebrew words, what it means, it means is freshly pressed, squeezed, expelled, and trodden out. And they just come through, in other words, these grapes just come through the wine press, trodden underfoot which by the way shows you that it's not alcoholic because there was no fermentation period. Okay, new wine from grapes that have been through a recent process of crushing. Would you not agree with me that the church of Jesus, that when he was on the earth, went through this time of crushing before the day of Pentecost, out of all the multitudes that thronged him, there was 120 left over. How many of you feel that you've kind of just been through a time of crushing? I can tell you right now that the church right now is going through a time of crushing. And the reason is that there is a new season about to be burst. There's a new wine, a new fire, a new revelation, family, a new beginning that God has for us. 
And this all relates to the significance of this first miracle that was all prophetic of this time. See, it's also new wine, and this is very exciting, is also very indicative of an overflow and of prosperity. Let me show you this in Deuteronomy 11 verse 14. It says, then, then, okay, I will give you rain for your land in its season, in the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, which is speaking about provision, prosperity, your new wine revelation, your oil, which is speaking about that anointing. God promised would be poured out on our sons and our daughters and everybody would prophesy. Amos 19 verse 13, sorry, 9 verse 13. It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. I mean, imagine that. While you're busy still putting your offering in the bag, your banking account's already being filled up. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. This is speaking about whole life prosperity, spiritually, mentally, physically, socially, and financially. Jeremiah 31, 12 says this, therefore they shall come and sing at the height of Zion. Now Zion is a type and shadow of the church, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat, once again, provision, new wine, revelation, oil, anointing for the young of the flock, my children, your children, our grandchildren. It says, and the herds, that's me and you. Their souls will be like a well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more at all. Now let's time travel back to the wedding at Cana. John 2, verse 10, the B part, it says, but you have kept the best until now. Until now, family, this first miracle was a revelation of Jesus as the Christ. It is a prophecy of the Holy Spirit being poured out. It is also about the end time church and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because he said the best was kept, not the best one was kept till the end of the, the wedding ceremony. No, no, the best was kept until now. Let's remember that family, God lives in the now. And I believe that the best is for now. We go through seasons, but for God, he lives in the now. He says, I am that I am, meaning that he is present to accomplish his word according to our faith whenever we place a demand on it to bring that thing that we are believing for into the now. That's what the woman with the issue of blood did. She brought her miracle into the now. That's what the woman from Canaan did. She took that which was reserved for a future time and brought it into her now. That's what Mary did. I mean, she said, she, she's this, the, the Messiah himself and the ministry of Jesus Christ, or even when Jesus said, now is not my time. He says, I am that I am. Now look at this. We have a look at back at the wedding feast again, John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the most profound prophecy of the ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, in other words, I mean, 
Think about this. This entire account was the beginning of a whole new dispensation for humanity. And the reason that Jesus brought forth this new one wasn't just to save the wedding. It really was to declare this is a brand new dispensation. This is a brand new future. Amen, family. And we are in the end time church. And I really believe that God is waiting for this. I believe that He's waiting for us to rise up. You see, there's going to be a generation that's going to dare to believe that we can be that generation. We can be that generation that will bring the Lord back, that there's gonna be such an intimacy, such a priority of God and His presence and everything about the kingdom. And that that generation is just gonna sense, man, this is the moment. This is the time. We are prepared to be that generation. And just maybe, just maybe that God is waiting for that. Just maybe God is saying, I am waiting for some generation to rise up and say, we are, believe that we are the generation that is going to do it. We're going to bring Jesus back in a generation that will place such a demand on the power that is available to us that we can get the job done and Jesus can return. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The question is, is this the generation that can stand up and say, yes, Lord, now. Yes, Lord, now. This is all that God, I believe, is waiting for, that we really can honestly be like like this woman that had tenacious faith to place a demand on the power of God, like the woman from Canaan that brought that thing that was supposed to be in for a future time into her now, and like Mary that just says, do whatever He tells you to do, and a whole new dispensation was birthed because of tenacious faith, because of not being offended. Family, are we prepared to rise up and be that generation? I believe the Father's looking at us and say, Church, are you ready as a bride? The Bible says the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Maybe that's what God's waiting for, for us to say, We're ready. We're the ones that say, Come. Amen. I want to be praying for, for us in a moment, but right now I just want to give people the opportunity to step in to this dispensation. And the only way we can do that is to become a child of God. So if you're here tonight and you say, You know what? In fact, can I just ask you, just focus, just close your eyes for a moment, just bow your heads. You're here tonight and you say, I don't even know where to start. Well, I want you to know there's only one place to start and that is when you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. All your sins are forgiven. Jesus comes and makes a place in your heart and you are guaranteed in a place, having a place in heaven for all of eternity. But He's knocking at the door of your heart. And unless you open that door, he can't come in. So I'm going to ask you tonight, just open the door. Jesus is saying, I'm here. Just open the door. Just allow me to do what I do. Just, just receive that gift that I gave, eternal life. Also, there are people here, maybe tonight you say, you know what, I want to be one of the new generation. I want to be that generation that says, Jesus, come, but my life isn't what it should be. I just would like to rededicate my life to the Lord tonight. Or maybe you just want to be sure, sure in your heart that you will be spending eternity in heaven. 
Maybe somebody close to you just passed away and you stopped to think, if something happened to me, where would I go? You can be sure tonight. So I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna count to three. And if you just raise up your hand right there where you are, I'm gonna include you in my prayer. So if you wanna receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand up right now. If you wanna rededicate your life to the Lord, just raise your hand up right now. You wanna be sure that you're going to heaven, just raise up your hand right there where you are in this auditorium and the other auditoriums, you guys online, just raise your hand up. You know, the Holy Spirit can see it. You gotta know there's a battle going on for your soul tonight because the devil's not gonna let go easily. He doesn't want you to step into this new life, this new dispensation Jesus has for you. But you raise up your hand, just raise it up. Right there you are, thank you, I see hands. Thank you for your hand, thank you for making this decision. It's the best decision of our lives. I'm gonna ask each and every one of us just to, to say this together, just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you that you set me free. I believe that you died on that cross to take my sins, that you rose again on the third day. And right now, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I wanna live my life for you. Thank you for forgiving me and help me to forgive all those that have hurt me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.